Temporary satisfaction is found from within. But if I could say this, lasting satisfaction is found with Him. It's found with Him. I want to be fat. It's not a statement you hear very often. It's not a politically correct word to use either. Instead, sometimes we say things like, uh, I have a dad bod, dad body, right? Instead of saying, uh, I, I'm overweight, we'll say, we'll uh, make up other excuses. Or some people will say, I'm extra insulated. That's what my dad used to say. He's, he's just uh, hibernating, he's getting ready for the winter. Oh, I have a low metabolism. Uh, I'm horizontally challenged. I'm, uh, I'm an enthusiastic eater. Whatever the case may be, and I realize that there are um, people who, have, who uh, chronically have issues and they are struggling with it, and I have by no means trying to offend anybody at all or poke fun at anybody, because I think you understand the context of the scriptures that we just read this morning. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25, the Bible says, The liberal soul shall be made fat. Now, spiritually speaking, how many of you would like to be fat? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? Some of you are like, I still don't want to raise my hand. It's just too weird. I don't, like the, I don't like the phrase. Now, the word fat in verse 25, the liberal soul shall be made fat. There's a Hebrew word called dashain, which specifically means to anoint. But when used in the figurative sense, it means to satisfy. How many of you would like to be satisfied in life? Every aspect of life you'd like to wake up knowing, ah, my life is sat I'm satisfied with my life. Isn't that the goal, the dream of everybody? The, 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 the pursuit of happiness, the, to reach this point in life where I can be happy, where I can be satisfied with my life. And we know that many people try to fill that void, that urge to be satisfied, and their heads, they think, if I can just land a decent job, that'll be step one to my happiness. And if I can just make a decent amount of money, then that's step two. If I can get a house, all right, I'm getting closer now. Maybe I can get a, a, a nice car, even just a, a reasonable car, a car that, that gets me around. And then maybe um, if I can find my true love, I can get married. I could have children. We can live in a respectable house in a, in a quieter neighborhood. And we have all these, this list and we check these things off to try to find happiness in life, to try to be satisfied, to try to be spiritually, well, spiritually fat. The question I have for you this morning is, how can we be spiritually fat? How can we be spiritually satisfied? How can we be complete in life? How can we reach this stage? Well, the book of Proverbs mentions this word, doshane, or, or fat. It mentions this word four times in the book of Proverbs. And here, I would like to present to you four ways that, that we can learn to be fat or to be satisfied in life. And the first way we see here in Proverbs chapter 11 is to be generous to others. To be generous to others. 
Look in verse 24 in, in Proverbs 11. The Bible says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. Being generous is oftentimes... Uh, verses 24 through 26, we see a, a difference between being greedy and being generous. And in verse 24, we see, first of all, that there, we are to be generous with our money. Generous with our money. It says, there is that scattereth, yet increaseth. But then there's those people that hold on, and they end up becoming the ones stricken in poverty. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 7, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth, uh, what is it? A cheerful giver. Acts 20, verse 35 says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. These are verses we're familiar with. Verses, and there's many more I could have said. God loves a cheerful giver. And God says over and over again, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's interesting, though, how sometimes when it comes to money, we can tend to be, um, it's, it's, it's easy to be a bit greedy. You know, I have a, a four-year-old. One day I'll stop using him in my illustrations when he's old enough to be embarrassed. Right now, if I say his name, he enjoys it very much. So I, I will stop someday, son, I promise. Just not today. So I got, you know, my son, and uh, we'll find some change on the ground. Or you know how it is. You pay for something and you get change back. I know we don't use cash very often, but sometimes you do. And Titus sees a dime. Oh, Daddy, could I have the dime? No, it's too expensive, son. You don't know how to use that. You can't tie the dime anyway. Don't make pennies anymore. Sorry, son. Uh, maybe a nickel. I'll give you a nickel if you're, if you're good. So I give him a nickel. He doesn't know what it does. You know, Daddy, could I buy this toy? <laughs> nope, need a thousand more nickels to buy that toy, son. <laughs> doesn't understand math or anything, but he has that, that coin, and he appreciates that, that money very much. Now, as a, Titus, if you gain enough nickels, you could eventually buy that toy, though. Oh, I can? Yeah. How many more nickels do I need? I pull out the calculator, you know, do the math. Uh, and I don't know how to do the math, so I Google it. And then I find out, I don't know, son, you need about 300 nickels. So we're at the dollar store, right? We just need about 300 nickels, and you might be able to get that, that item. Oh, how many do I have? Come on, what's wrong with you? You have one nickel. You have one nickel, you need 299 left. Okay, yes, daddy. All right. Uh, could I have another nickel? You got to earn it, son. You got to earn that nickel. And we'll be walking throughout the store. And uh, just for fun, you know, I'll reach out and say, hey, Titus, could I have your nickel? <laughs> I don't need his nickel. I just want to see how he reacts. I already know how he's going to react. You know, hold it tight. This is my only nickel. I need 299 more. I don't want to. Titus, give me your nickel. And some of you guys tease him, too. Uh, some of the, the guys in the church will be walking around, and they'll walk up to Titus. Titus, could I have your, your toy? And I don't know why we do it. We, just, we know the answer, right? We just like teasing. And it's amazing. They're at a certain age, and you know, he has no reason to give me the nickel. I didn't promise anything in return. It wasn't a life moment there. I was just asking him if he wanted to give me the nickel. 
And there are times where we'll be at the dinner table and we'll have candy or, and uh, things out on the table. And every once in a while, hey, Titus, could I, uh, could I have one of those pieces of candy? Surprisingly, he usually says yes, unless it's his favorite. If it's something he really wanted. Titus, could I have one? Uh, then he'll, he says what I say to him. <laughs> he says, maybe later, Daddy. <laughs> Which is uh, no, of course. It means absolutely not. Later, after I eat them all, I'll think about it. We oftentimes, with certain items, things that we really cherish, it's harder to give up, obviously. Whereas there's things we don't care about as much, clothes and shoes we don't wear, we don't fit anymore. We give them to the, you know, to, to the thrift store or something. We give them to people. But when it's something we've worked hard for, it tends to get more difficult to, to get rid of it. As you get older, you realize money is not as easy as some people make it seem. The older you get, you get your first job and you're like, oh, man, I actually got to work. <laughs> and then you, you, feel like you've, you feel like you've worked you know, a thousand hours that week and you're so exhausted and you only worked about 10 or 12 maybe and you're waiting, you can't wait to get your first check and they give it to you and after taxes and everything's done, it's like <laughs> $12. What can I buy with $12? And you realize if I need more money, I got to work more. And you know this in your head, but it starts to become a reality, right? Then you, then you start asking, you start saying something you never thought you'd say. I need, I need more shifts, sir. I need more work. I need to spend less time doing what I want and, and more time doing what I don't want so that I could have money, so that I could do things. And then you start to begin how difficult it is really to obtain money. And then, you know, you get your check and the government says, I need that and I need this and I need this. And by the end, you feel like you have less than what you started out with. And it's a process. And money becomes one of those things that is difficult oftentimes to hand out, to give, especially when God in his word commands us as Christians to tithe. 10% is a lot of money. And then you come to church, oh, a pastor's asking for more money. Missions, missionaries are coming around. He wants us to give more money for missions, to reach more people for the Lord. And it seems like money, money, money. There's charities all around always asking for money. And you have, um, you know, the Boy Scout, Girl Scout things knocking on your door, trying to sell cookies or sell donuts in front of Walmart or something like that. And it seems like money and it gets harder and harder to, to be generous, to give. Now, I will say for some people, giving, comes, giving money comes naturally. Some people are just naturally not attached to it. They have a little bit and see somebody in need, they give it. But for the rest of us, sometimes it takes practice. It takes work. It takes faith in God to provide for us. When God promises in his word, give unto me and I'll give you back twice as much. Yeah, it's, easier, it's, it's easy to say that, but it's harder in practice. Sometimes we have to start off little and, and build our faith and increase. And especially when it comes to things like our missionaries. And we try to keep that chart in the back so we can monitor and see how our giving is. And we challenge people to give. And our missionaries have sold their houses, sold their homes, sold everything to move to a different country, to learn a language they don't know in, in, in a lot of cases. And to do what? To preach the gospel. To start churches to feed the poor, as many of them are doing. And we have a chance and an opportunity to be a part of that. And we know that we know the money is going to a good place, but sometimes it's still, when the offering plate comes around, sometimes, you know, you're going through your wallet and you get a, uh, like I said, cash. We don't, a lot of us don't use cash as much anymore, but, you know, back in the day, you got like a, a five, a 10, and a, a 20, and the offering plates come by and you're like, hmm, I should give all of it. 
but we wanted to go out to eat afterwards. I need the 20. 10, 5. All right, I won't go 5. I'll go 10. So see, Lord, see what I did there? I'll give you 10, not the 5. And you put it in. And there's still a mental struggle that goes through our minds. Sometimes you're driving down the road, you're stopping at a stoplight, and there's somebody holding a sign, right? Something holding a sign saying homeless or need money or can you spare any extra change? And it's hard to tell the crook from the legit, right? You, hard to tell, ah, if I give this guy money, is he just going to blow it on you know, drugs and things? Or does he really need it? How do I know? Oftentimes it requires us saying, God, give me wisdom. Because we know that there are real legitimate people out there who, who, who do need help, right? They, they, they do need money and they're legitimately poor for a legitimate reason. And they could sure use our money. God, give me wisdom on who to help and who not to help. And God, help me just to be a generous giver. Because, just let's face it, we only have money because God's allowing us to have it in the first place. The money we have belongs to him, so why be stingy when it comes to our relationship with the Lord? We're trying to figure out how we can be spiritually satisfied in life, and our first way is to be generous, generous with our money. But if you look in verse 26, we actually see we're to be generous with our possessions as well. Verse 26 he that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. Apparently, there was a problem back then where farmers and things, they would, make, they would have corn and they'd have crops and they'd have things. And instead of selling their excess, I mean, you could also make money off it as well. But what a lot of people were doing is they were holding on to it for the chance that a famine might break out in the land or a dearth or something, you know, where no rain no, uh, and, and there's some kind of a famine and they would hold on to their, their corn, they would hold on to their, their, uh, their produce. So then when the famine came, they could double the price because, I mean, where else are you going to get the food from? And this apparently was a problem back then and there's other passages where we actually see this taking place. And the wisdom by Solomon here is don't be that person. Don't, don't be in it constantly for the money. Share your possessions, but share that which God has already given you in the first place. The end of the verse says, the people shall curse him. And yes, if you're that kind of person that is constantly hoarding and never giving, God's going to remember that someday. You reap what you sow. And many people are good at, naturally good at just giving of our possessions. A lot of people are very inviting over to your homes. A lot of you have family members and friends that you've allowed to live with you and, and you've given up rooms in your home and you've given up food in your fridge. A lot of you have given up cars. I've been the beneficiary of this. We, the car we drive today was given to us for free by someone here in this church. And they have no idea the perfect timing that that came. We, have a, we had a car just like it. it was a, it's, a, it's a Ford Escape. We had a car just like it. It was a 2001 and we had, just, we had just got it. It was used. I didn't pay very much for it, but I was hoping it lasted for a couple of years. And about five months into it, every, I mean, it's a Ford. What can you expect? Everything, I mean, everything started falling off and popping off. And, and I mean, the day I bought it, the, uh, it it's a five-speed, and the, uh, it, it, I couldn't put it in the gear. It was stuck. The day I bought it, the day I pulled it out, and I had to spend all this money to get it, the car was just on its way out, and somebody just came by and said, uh, you want my car? It's a car. We've been driving it for years now, and it's no problems at all whatsoever. God has been so good to us. Some of us are, so, are natural 
at, at giving of our possessions, our homes, our cars. Giving up a car, you could make money off that. <laughs> giving up a car is not something one would normally do. A lot of you have things like trailers and RVs, and, and you're willingly giving them out. Some of you are, are um, you're generous with your food and groceries. Once again, been the beneficiary of this as well. Uh, many of you have come by and laid groceries at our, our, our door or given us groceries. And some of you don't realize the timing that was involved in God allowing you to give us groceries at certain times. And the Lord has been so good to us. I love in our church as well, oftentimes when a lady will uh, just give, give birth to a baby, oftentimes the ladies will form a schedule where they each night they'll make sure that lady has a meal for at least a week or two or so to make sure that they could just relax and be off their feet. We have... We have a giving church. And even though it may come naturally to some of us, there are others of us that could use a little bit of practice in this area of being generous. And last point here on generosity is learn to be generous with our time. With our time. The process of generosity often takes time. Generosity often means going out of one's way to help somebody else going the extra mile, or working a little bit harder or a little bit longer to help somebody. We have people in our church that, uh, that have spent all day on Saturday, many, many Saturdays, painting the church, trimming trees. Uh, we have people that spend time coming Saturdays to go soul winning, to practice in the choir, uh, work in the nursery, teachers and helpers in super church and ushers and securities and greeters. And we have people that are donating their time constantly unto the Lord. And uh, if I could brag on one person here in this church, there is somebody, at least personally in my life, that is, in my opinion, a very, very generous person. And many of you have been, uh, have, have seen the effects of the generosity of Pastor Deviant. And I don't mean to point you out and uplift anybody. How many of you, how many of you have had a cell phone fixed by Pastor Deviant? Anybody? Three, four, five hands. Anybody have a computer fixed by him? Five, okay, more of the hands there. Seven, eight, uh, nine, looks like about, uh, quite a few hands there. Um, how about, uh, is any, have he, has he driven any of you, young people, anywhere before, giving you rides anywhere? Okay, more hands are going up all over the auditorium. Uh, we, on staff here, we have Mondays as our, as, our, as our day off. And for at least a year or two, he would spend most of his Monday driving to UBC and helping start the uh, UBC Bible Club, helping get it going, just being an encouragement to those there. Editing pictures or movies is something he does frequently. And these are just a few things. Some of you have this same generosity spirit. Keep that. Because there's something special about giving. You know, when you're a kid and Christmas time comes around, you can't wait to receive a gift, right? And I, I think I must still be a kid because I, I sure get excited when I see my name under the tree. And I can't wait to see what it is, even though I... I Financially, I'm the one that probably bought it anyway in the first place, but there's a thought that counts anyway, and I so much appreciate and I love receiving. But there comes a point as a parent, especially, where you, when you see your kid, you know, open up a gift and their eyes light up. <gasps> and you know, it was from the dollar store, but they don't care. They open up, <gasps> it's a shark. I know you have 7,000 of them, but you got one more what they see and their eyes are so lit up and man that, that makes you feel good when you get the, the right gift for that right for, for the person and they open it up and they enjoy it continue being a giving person generosity you want to be satisfied in life learn to be generous learn to be generous 
It's nothing like giving something and not even needing to receive anything in return, just being thankful that you were able to give something. We want to be spiritually fat, generous, or be spiritually fat. We must first be generous. But I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13. Two chapters over. Proverbs chapter 13. And look in verse 4. Proverbs 13 and verse 4. The Bible says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. You want to live a satisfied life, you have to, first of all, learn to be generous to others. But secondly, we must learn to be diligent in your work. To be diligent in your work. You see here in verse 4, it starts out by saying, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. First thing I see here in this verse is the emptiness of the lazy. The, the emptiness of the lazy. When we're oftentimes lazy, it creates this emptiness within us. The Bible calls the lazy the sluggard. A sluggard is one that desires knowledge, uh, but does not care to be at any pains to get it. And so he doesn't have any knowledge. He desires riches, but chooses not to make use of the means by which to get rich, to be diligent and industrious, so he is without riches. He desires to wear good clothes and rich raiment, but is unwilling to labor for them and therefore is clothed with rags. He desires food and plenty of it, but refuses to work for it. And he that will not work should not eat. And therefore he has it not, but starves and famishes. And in spiritual things, the slugger desires heaven and happiness, but does not care to do the duties of religion. He would die the death of the righteous, but is unwilling to live his life, to abstain from sin, and live soberly and righteously. It's too hard service for him. He does not choose to do it or suffer anything that the cause of Christ and true religion desires. You see, one that lives his life of laziness oftentimes finds himself feeling empty inside. You know, sometimes you, you go throughout your day and you feel like you didn't accomplish anything. A lot of people as well, they go through things, um, they go through these midlife crises, right? Where they, they're looking, they, they look back on their life and they think, what have I even done? Like, I mean, who, what, 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 all my life's work, what has it accomplished? We start rethinking our life and thinking in ourselves, what is even the point of it all? What have I actually done? Sometimes it's just a crisis and we realize we have done. But there are times where the laziness gets in the way of us being truly satisfied in life. Not only do I see the emptiness of the lazy, but I also see here the fullness of the diligent. The fullness. In the end of verse 4, it says, But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, this is Paul, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. 
there's a, a state in, in America called, uh, well, there's, North, there's uh, North, uh, West Virginia. West Virginia. Now, West Virginians would know about a man by the name of Captain John Smith in American history. And he was vital to the survival of one of the earliest settlements called Jamestown in the early 1600s. When depression and sickness were at its worst, the, moral, the, the morale of the men and women were fading very quickly. Captain Smith stood up and was forced to create a new law amongst the young colony. Okay? Depression was at its highest sickness. It was getting hard to get food. This is a young colony. Morale was fading. This is what Captain John Smith's declaration was. Countrymen, the long experience of our late miseries, I hope, is sufficient to persuade everyone to, to a present correction of himself. And think not that either my pains nor the adventurers' purses will ever maintain you in idleness and sloth. The greater part must be more industrious or starve. Probably don't know what's happening right now, but I'll get there. He says this, You must obey this now for a law, that he that will not work shall not eat, except by sickness and disability. For the labors of 30 or 40 honest and industrious men shall not be consumed to maintain 150 idle loiters. See, depression was so strong in the early stages of this colony that it was stopping people from even having the will to work anymore. It was dragging them down. They found themselves just having no desire to get up. There was a few 30 or 40 that were still working, but they were working so hard. They were working on behalf of the other 100, 150 who couldn't do it, who, wasn't, who wouldn't do anything. And John Smith said, look, from now on, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you need some encouragement, that's your encouragement for you. If you want to live, you got to help. You got to work. And John Smith got that, of course, from the passage I just read in Thessalonians. John Smith would later make this statement. Win or lose, you will never regret working hard, making sacrifices, being disciplined, or focusing too much. Success is measured by what we have done to prepare for competition. Interesting. You will never regret working too hard, making sacrifices. Now, some of you could argue that with something sly, but when it comes by the end of the day, working hard brings a sense of accomplishment, knowing that you were given a task and you did it as best as you could. Knowing that when your project is complete and you see it in display, you know, yeah, it may not be perfect, but I gave my all. I was diligent. And if I can say this, God is looking for diligent Christians. He is looking for diligent workers. And there is something to be said of the diligent worker. God loves and is looking for you. Oftentimes the cults, the false teachers are working harder than we as Christians are, who have the truth of God. It seems that they're out there on the street corners. They're going door to door. They're spending millions of dollars on literature and getting their gospel out when we have the truth of God and we sit here in the pews and do nothing. We, God is looking for the diligence who will step up and do more than those who don't have the truth. It's as if we don't truly believe in the truth. 
that we claim to hold so dear to. If we really believed and loved the true God of heaven, wouldn't our diligence for him increase every day as we get closer and closer to him? Wouldn't our desire to live for him get stronger and stronger? Wouldn't our zeal and burden for the lost drive us to come soul winning and go witnessing every chance that we can? But oftentimes we find ourselves not being diligent in the work that God has for us. I want to show you a story here in the Bible. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 18. It's a very, sort of an odd story. 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel 18, King David has just declared war on his son Absalom. Absalom tried to overthrow the kingdom. And David gives very strict instructions to his workers, to his general Joab. He says, listen closely. Do not, for any reason, kill my son. I know he's overthrowing the kingdom. I know he's a bad person. I know he deceived all of you, but he's my son. I love him very much. I am your king. Listen to me and do not hurt my son. Bring him in alive. Well, Joab had a mind of his own. You know the story. Absalom was running. He was on a donkey or a horse, and he, his hair, he had long hair, right, and got caught underneath the tree. And the, the donkey just kept riding, and he's just dangling from the tree from his long, wavy hair. And he's stuck. It's so thick. It's so, the Bible says he had beautiful hair. It was so, not so beautiful now. He wished he had scissors and can cut it off and he's just dangling there. And guess who, uh, some, some of the men see him and they say, oh, it's Absalom. God just laid it right in our hands. So they run and tell Joab. He's the general. Joab, we, Absalom caught himself for us. <laughs> I guess he surrendered. I don't know. He, he's right there. Should we bring him to David? And Joab says, why didn't you kill him? They said, uh, because the king said not to. <laughs> Call me weird. Joab says, he tried to kill the king. He tried to kill us all, deceive us. Why did you not kill him? You know what? Get out of my way. Joab walks over and the Bible says with three darts, with three small arrows, plucks it right through his heart and kills him. Okay, so not good news right now. So the news is now rolling around. Now look at verse 19. Then said Ahimez, the son of Zadok, he's talking to Joab, the general, let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, uh, thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings. That's pretty clear, right? <laughs> because the king's son is dead. So he wanted to run and be the messenger and run to David and say, David, let me tell you the news. And Joab said, no, I don't want you to do it, buddy. Instead, verse 21, Joab said to Cushai, go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. So Joab said, Ahimez, I don't, he was a younger guy, and he said, this isn't news for you. I don't want you to say it. Instead, Cushai, you're the man for the job. I need you to go run and do it. Okay, so pretty clear. You don't run. You run. Okay. Now, we're going to find out later, Ahimez didn't actually even know what happened. He didn't even know that Absalom had been killed. He didn't even know. So Joab said, don't run. Well, ugh, verse 22. Then said Ahimez, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab. Oh, but howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. 
And Joab said, uh, Well, wherefore wilt thou run? My son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready, why do you want to run? You have nothing to say. Verse 23, But howsoever said he, Let me run. And he said unto him, Run. Fine, go run. Then Ahimez ran by the way of the plain and, and overran Cushai. So here's a guy who's young, he's energetic, he's vibrant. You know, he, he just wants to, he wants to run. He wants to be a messenger for David. And Joab says, but you got nothing to say, so why are you running? Cushai, I, need, I want you to run. Here's the message for you. So Cushai starts running, but he's probably an older guy. He's not, he's not quite as limber. Ahimez, this guy's an athlete. I mean, he was stretched. He was ready to go. I think I hurt myself there. He was stretched. He was ready to go. He was wanting to do something, and he ran. And I'll, I'll finish the story for you. Well, I already read it, but he outruns Cushai, beats him. And then the guys are on the wall seeing the messengers come around the corner, and they're looking going, it looks like a hemace. I could tell by the way he runs. You could read the passage. They could tell who it was by the way he ran. That, I could tell that's a hemace, the son of Zadok. He's coming. And the Bible says when he shows up in front of David, David says, what happened? And Ahimei says, you know, there's like a lot of talking going on. I didn't really hear what it was, but, but we won the war. And David says, well, what happened to my son? And he says, yeah, like I said, I don't actually know, uh, but, but we won the war, David. Isn't that good news? Because David tells him, stand aside. And then Cushai comes and tells him what happened, and David weeps and he mourns. Why am I saying this? Because there are oftentimes people who don't have anything good to say, yet they are so excited to say it. And yet, here's Cushai. Now, I'm not blaming Cushai. I think he was an older guy. He was not supposed to outrun a Himes. But oftentimes, we as Christians, we're like Cushai. We're running, but we get outrun by people who have nothing to say. Where's the diligence? Where's the Christians who will roll up their sleeves and work hard for God? And be generous and be diligent for the cause of Christ. Not only are we to be generous or to be diligent, but in Proverbs 15, we're also to be constructive with our words. Look in Proverbs chapter 15. We're to be constructive with our words. In Proverbs chapter 15, and in verse 30, The Bible says in Proverbs 15 and verse 30, The light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. You see what it's saying here? The light of the eyes, that which we see, that which what we're able to see, it rejoices the heart. And hearing something good, a good report means good news, hearing good news maketh the bones fat, maketh it completes us. It satisfies us. It's, it's good news to us. We, it, it's, it's, it, it satisfies us. So what do we learn from this? Giving, being constructive with your words. First of all, we need to learn to give positive news. Learn to be a positive person. Now, I'm not saying you could never have a close friend and talk about negative things. You know, sometimes those are necessary. But on a day-to-day -day basis... What is your normal conversations like with people at the office or at home or at work? Are you generally an uplifting, positive, encouraging person? Or are you the type of person, hey, how was your day today? Oh, let me tell you. And th this is what brings you joy, is telling people about how unjoyful you are. Ah, oh, flat tire this morning. 
and you, something maybe not so bad happened, but you make it sound really bad because you want people to feel sorry for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. And that's what makes you feel good is sorrow. Or maybe you're that kind of person that enjoys uplifting one another. Yesterday in our Soul Winners Academy class, we dealt with talking with strangers. And one of the tips we used was when you're talking with somebody, when you're trying to get to know somebody, try to bring, keep positive stuff in the conversation. Don't go right to the negative. There are some things that you could talk about that tend to bring negativity to conversations if you're not careful. There are things, um, you know, Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. There are things that we should be careful with as a, as a Christian. Sometimes you start talking about uh, oh, how much you hate your boss. Okay, well, there's more positive things to talk about in life. I'm sure all of us have had things we didn't care for about their boss. That's not something you need to talk about with a, a friend. Those are things that's not encouraging or uplifting. Learn to be that guy that, that has a smile on your face, that's always trying to uplift and encourage, not talking about other people behind their backs. Sometimes you bring up things like politics. And politics, I mean, there's always a right and a wrong. And whatever your viewpoint is on certain things, chances are the other person doesn't agree with you 110%. There's something that's going to come up, and now the other person has to either decide, do I want to disagree with him and just you know, be his friend still, or do I stand up and disagree with him and then we argue? Learn to be that kind of person that uplifts, that is good at giving positive news. Now, there are times where the negative news does need to happen. The Bible says here that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, that's bad news. If you've sinned in your life, you're not going to heaven. The Bible says you're on your way to hell. But there is good news. There is good news to overlap that. You don't, don't just leave them hanging there. Tell them the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins, and according to the scriptures, you can be saved. And you don't have to live in that, that fear. You can know him as your personal Lord and Savior. So there's something to be said about giving, being that kind of person that gives good news. When was the last time you just randomly encouraged somebody? You just walked up to them and said, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. How are you? And you just really invest in their life. Or you get a letter and you randomly write a letter to somebody just saying, you know what, I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. How are you doing? Now, letters we don't write as often, but I don't know about you, I would still, I'd still rather get a letter in the mail than an email, right? It's just something more personal about something handwritten. Encourage somebody today. So there's giving positive news, and you could also flip it around and saying receiving positive news satisfies us. It completes us. It encourages us. But the last thing here I want us to look at is Proverbs chapter 28. How do we be fat? How do we be spiritually satisfied? How do we reach a point in our life where we're content with the life that we have? Proverbs 28, verse 25. The Bible says, Proverbs 28, 25. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Now, excuse the grammar here today, but the fourth reason that we can be satisfied is to be trusting in the Lord. To be trusting. Are you be trusting? Be trusting in the Lord. Because it says here in verse 25, he that is of a proud heart 
stirreth up strife. Temporary satisfaction is found from within. Temporary satisfaction is found from within. But if I could say this, lasting satisfaction is found with him. It's found with him. Lasting satisfaction. You see, because temporary satisfaction, I mean, it says here in verse 25, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. Some people are proud because of all the things that they have and they think these things are make them happy and they get proud because of it. But this is temporary. Proverbs 27, 20 says, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Nothing will truly satisfy you in life here on this earth. It's, it's temporary. But lasting satisfaction is from within, from with him. John 4, 13, Jesus with the woman at the well. Jesus looked at that woman and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, pointing at just a normal well, if you drink of this water, guess what? You're going to be thirsty again someday. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus says, you can get all the money you want in the world, all the wealth, the fame, the possessions. You can get everything you think is going to satisfy you, but you're going to be thirsty again. Because the eyes of man are never satisfied. But come to me. And I will give you living water that will satisfy you for all of eternity. We want to be spiritually fat today. It's found in being generous, as we've seen. It's found in being diligent in your work. It's found in being constructive with your words, according to the Proverbs here. And the most important part here is it's found in trusting in the Lord putting your faith and trust in Him. There's nothing better than laying your head at night knowing that you've given everything to God. And you know what? When the tough times come, you've given it to God already. And I know you don't want to go through the tough times, but they're there. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You've never experienced the eternal satisfaction of living with him, his living water. You've never given your life to God. Trust him today. You'll never find the satisfaction you're looking for without Christ. You can keep trying. You can keep searching. We'll still be here when you're done searching because you won't find it. You'll find voids that'll fill it temporarily for a short period of time, but then they'll be empty again. And then you'll need more money, bigger possessions, more friends, more family. But they'll all fail you because lasting satisfaction is found with him. If you could stand with me as we close in prayer today. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.